It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to yet another episode of the Brain Droppings Podcast. I am your host, Joe Show. Taking you along for another 60-minute or so journey through the shit that rattles inside my head in today's episode titled Be Well. Um, I'm going to touch on the fact that we are now in the month of March, and March is colorectal awareness month. So if you haven't had the cheeks checked, now's not a bad time to think about getting that done. We'll also cover some of the, um, the basics that any person, whether you are listening to me in the United States, or as I've recently noticed by checking my feeds, listening to me internationally, um, some basic things that as a semi-adult, you need to actually take to heart and look at getting done for yourself in the coming days, weeks, and months that are ahead of us. Because let's face it, folks, it's important. Your health is important. And you being on the planet longer is important. So today's episode is all going to be about preventative maintenance. Let me try that in English, preventative maintenance, and uh, making sure we're taking care of the things that we should take care of to make sure that we are the healthiest versions of ourselves possible. As always, I'm your host, Joe Show, taking you through, and I'll be right back after the break. All right, a little public enemy fight the power. What a way to start a podcast. Um, <laughs> wish I had a little more fire in me. Every time I listen to Chuck D and Flavor Flav going after it, it's just one of those things where it just makes you feel jacked. But back to the matter at hand, um, and that is wellness. So I'm doing this podcast for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's been a while since your host has been in even so much as for a physical. And that's not a good thing, folks. That's just being stubborn. And if you listen to the last podcast, an ingrained belief structure that I'm genetically superior to most. However, that being said, um, I need to go in and get a physical, get taken care of. I'm not a spring chicken. Uh, I feel great. I look great. Uh, my weight's in check. My body's in check. Everything feels good to me, but it doesn't hurt to go in front of a medical doctor who actually went and got a degree to take a look at you, pull some blood, and let you know what changes you need to make or if you don't need to make any at all, which is probably going to be the case in mine. That being said, if any of you listening have any pre-existing conditions throughout your family, whether it be... A1C, type 1 diabetes, type 2 diabetes, um, colorectal cancer, any type of cancer, any type of genetic disorders, autoimmune disorders, whatever it may be. If it travels throughout your family, there's a better than, um, better than not chance that you need to be checked to ensure that you're not carrying it pre disposition to take to getting it or having any type of of issue with it down the line so that being said um when i look at my family history there's a history of heart issues um with grandparents there's a history with alzheimer's there's a history with cancer uh so it's something i need to to check on you know on a regular basis so that brings me to tonight's episode about Be Well, and um, we're going to talk about a few of the taboo subjects that we don't like to talk about, but we sometimes have to. So I'm going to start the episode right off with my take and my take on colonoscopies. There's a lot of myths out there. 
there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of trepidation when it comes to having a colonoscopy for the first time. Um, whether it be the preset where you have to go out and kind of clean everything out before going into the doctor or whether it be the actual exam itself, we all have different fear structures built in. And I'm no different than you, um, other than, you know, of course, being genetically superior. I don't have club foot. I don't suffer from depression. I'm not, um, I don't have a highly addictive personality. Um, I just have fears that are sometimes ingrained in my head about certain um exams and one of them has always been a colonoscopy now growing up i was always told that a man doesn't have to have a colonoscopy until he's 50 years old and you'd be sadly mistaken to think that when i turned 40 i didn't start thinking to myself all right i got 10 years to prep for this exam i should be all right by the time i'm 50. um then the big c word entered my family um and more importantly, or, or more specifically, colorectal cancer. So that put me in a high-risk group, which means that my first opportunity to get a colonoscopy, I had to get one. Now, you know, in the, the spirit of being semi-open to you and letting you know some things, uh, I have put it off like you put off doing your taxes. I don't want to go. I'm nervous about it. I have anxiety about it. I'm not interested in anybody putting anything back there. And I'll, I'll go so far as to tell you that when I go to the doctor for a fucking physical, I don't even like the cheek check. I don't like the little finger in the sphincter. Um, it's not my idea of fun. It's not something that I, I look forward to. Uh, I usually get caught off guard. Last time I went for a physical, I totally forgot that I, I that, that that was a part of the physical. Um, so I hadn't, you know, quote unquote prepped for that, nor the exercise itself. So I was a little put off by the whole thing. Not to mention my doctor had a fucking physician's assistant in the room. And, you know, I'm not a sexist. I'm not a misogynist. I, I, I don't really care. I just have a preference. And if someone's going to stick a finger in my ass, it, it's if it's not going to be somebody I want to stick a finger in my ass, which is literally, I think the list of people is zero. Um, but, you know, it, it just wasn't, it wasn't set up right for me. Um, I was nervous about it. I tried to talk myself out of it. Finally, you know, it's grab the table, drop your drawers, hear the gloves snap, the lube on it, and then, and then in, and then we're done. Um, but I don't like them. I don't, I don't like the idea. And sure as shit, don't like a five foot fucking camera cable shoved up my ass either. So I'm nervous about this kind of stuff. I'm nervous about what it's going to be like. And, you know, uh, people tell you all the time, like if you have a medical condition, you shouldn't Google it because the interwebs can create a mass hysteria and anxiety. And I'm here to tell you that that is 100% absolutely true. Um, I Googled colonoscopies. I looked up everything. And sure, there's plenty of reassuring articles, but I'm not interested in in having it done. I know I have to have it done. Um but I'm not interested in it. I don't really want to shit my brains out for the clean out the day before, the night before, or the, the two days before, whatever it is. I don't even know because I don't want to do it. Um, but I did take my first step. I, I scheduled my physical for April. And, um, and then it dawned on me that March is colorectal um, cancer awareness month. So I'm guessing when I go in April, I'm going to have to mention to the doctor that, you know, here's my family history. I need to I need to have this done and then schedule it. Now I'm hoping that he's got nothing open until, I don't know, 2028. 20, um, but I'm guessing that that's not going to be the case. It's probably going to be within the four or five week period after my physical. And we're going to go deep. I mean, it's 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 just a horrific anxiety trigger for me when I think about, you know, just it, it to me, it's like a vulnerability. You know, I don't know how better to explain it than I like to be in control of certain situations, whether it's my personal life, whether it's business. Um, I like the feeling of of being in control and controlling my own destiny and, and, you know, getting out what you put in. I don't really have a submissive bone in my body as a personality type. I'm a type A Um I, I play well with others, but ultimately I like to call the shots. I like to be in control. Um, I like to feel like I'm the one who's determining how things are going to play out for us. And, you know, with a colonoscopy, uh, you know, even with a sedative, I'm going to be on a table. <laughs> I'm not going to be in control. And I'm hoping not to be awake. Like I'm going to pitch this to him 
uh, my doctor, like I am literally the weakest minded individual on the planet who has the lowest threshold for pain because I don't even want to be awake. I just want you. And I don't even know that you are awake, to be honest with you. The shit you read online, half the people are awake. The other half are not. Um, I would prefer to not be awake. I don't want to know about it. I just want to wake up in recovery afterwards and hopefully have a normal um, bowel movement within minutes. I, I, I don't want I don't want to have this thought of, you know, this camera up there. Or did they leave anything behind? Is there a lunchbox in my ass? I, I, I just don't want, you know, did he leave his pen in there? I, I don't know. And I don't want to even think about it, to be honest with you. But I'm going to do it. Um, again, because there's a family history, because... You have to make sure that you're taking care of these things. It's very important. And, you know, I I joke about it, but in the same regard, um, the fear is real. You know, that's not a joke. And I get that these things are important. I get that you have to have yourself checked out. I wanted to send uh, my two family members who uh, have been graced with and defeated, thank you, cancer. Um, I wanted to thank, I wanted to send them thank you cards for, you know, up in my fucking timeline by five, six years. But, you know, at the end of the day, you just got to be a man or a woman and, and, and go do it. And it's, it's not something I'm looking forward to. I debated whether or not to share it on a podcast, but at the end of the day, I mean, it's kind of funny. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, I, I try to, project this bravado of, of being a machismo man. You know, I'm a man, I'm an alpha, I'm, I'm in charge, but I'm horrified at the idea of having anything in my butt. Um, so I don't know, I don't know where that leaves me, but you know, Hey, do yourself a favor. It's the month of March. If you haven't had a colonoscopy yet and you are of age or you have a family history that would dictate that like me, you are shaving years off of when you're eligible to go and have one of these, um, I suggest that you reach out to your primary care physician, have a physical, raise the question as to whether or not you're a candidate for colonoscopy, have yourself checked, catch whatever's in there. If there's anything in there, it's best to catch it early. Early detection is the key. And then if you don't have anything in there, then you can send me a horrific email to braindroppingspod at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at my handle at Joe Choquette. That's J-O-E-C-H-O-Q-U-E-T-T-E. And thank me for having you have somebody shove a FIFA camera up your ass. Um, And we can be butt buddies, I guess, in that regard. But go ahead and make sure you have that checked out. Also, if you haven't had a physical, and I, I mention this because... There's a good percentage of people out there who, you know, put off physicals or don't necessarily have the medical coverage to do that. And I'm speaking to, you know, lower income people or people that are entrepreneurs, which I was for the better part of a decade, uh, where health and health costs and health insurance costs privately would have fallen on me, the, the business owner. And I was a small operation. I mean, we're talking both companies were ultimately acquired. However, they were acquired in their infancy. So we're talking about less than 10 employees. So not federally mandated or state mandated to carry health insurance. Um, So I didn't. And by not, I I let go of a lot of the preventative care appointments that I probably should have had. I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. Um, Optometry the study of eyes and, and the science of vision. Um, there's a, I, I remember it had to have been 2005 or so. Uh, I went for an eye exam and that was my first eye exam in six years. I had gone in 1999. When I went in 1999, I got fleeced. I got fucking fleeced. Like you read about, I went to, um, a lens crafters. Don't ask me why my insurance sent me there. I went to Lens Crafters and I go in there and I meet with the doctor and he's just a regular optometrist and he kind of looks at my eyes and does the test and okay, I have a 2040 vision in both eyes with an astigmatism. So let's get you some glasses. I said, all right. And he walks me out and, you know, probably a brilliant business person, this doctor. Um, because here I was, you know, we're talking 1999, I'm 25 years old. Um, and he literally had two or three borderline Instagram model influencers in 1999 um, working the eyeglass fitting and, and, and frame fitting area. Now, these women would have told me that a bag of dog shit on my face looked amazing and I was buying whatever they were selling. Uh, so I ended up getting talked into what I have 
since referred to as my Harry Potter glasses before Harry Potter was even popular or published for that matter. Um, they were horrific. My, my frames alone were $900 in 1999. Uh, so you do the math. I got fucked. Um, so I get these frames, I get these round ass glasses. I don't like glasses. I don't have a face for glasses. Um, I truly have a face for radio and podcasting. So if you like my voice, there's a reason I don't have a YouTube channel. Um, someday I will, we'll see. I'm learning that technology as we, as we go through it, but I didn't then and I don't now. Um, so I go and I get fleeced, right? So I'm pissed. Six years, I don't go back to the eye doctor. Um, I don't wear the glasses. At one point, I think I break them and it, accidentally. And then I'm like, you know what? I, I'm a self-punisher. So you, you're a moron. You spend $900 on frames. By the time you're all in on your glasses and they sell you this fucking no-scratch surface bullshit, you know, you're up over 1100 bucks for a pair of fucking glasses. And let's admit it, with 20-40 vision and astigmatism in both eyes, we're talking about reading glasses at this point. I should have just fucking tucked my tail, went to CVS, and bit the bullet and bought those fucking little magnifying glasses. But I didn't do that. Um, so I stopped wearing them. Fast forward now, it's 2005. Both of my kids are born. And I, I you know, I'm, I'm starting to notice that I'm buying larger TVs rather than buying glasses. So I'm like, all right, I need to go back to the optometrist. So I go to the eye doctor. I go and have another thing. You know, vision hasn't changed much. It's still the same stigmatism in both eyes. Only this time, I'm convinced I, I'm not a candidate for glasses. Now, that's a self... Um, self-deprecating view. I mean, other people have told me you look fine in glasses, you look good, blah, blah, blah. But ever since the two Instagram, you know, porn star hooker models sold me the, the, the super expensive frames, I don't trust anybody who tells me I look good in frames. I mean, it would literally have to be like the frumpiest of frumpy people you ever meet or a guy who's never left his house and lives in his mom's basement telling me I look good for me to even think to believe it. But I give it a shot. So I go back in and this time I go, listen, here's the deal. I don't want glasses. He says, not a problem. You know, we can get you contacts. They've come a long way since the last time you were in. And now we have these weighted lenses. Now, just give you a little heads up, Joe, with an astigmatism, every time you blink, it's going to be blurry for like half a split second, and then it's going to be clear. And that's because the contacts are weighted. Every time you blink, they shift and, you know, they have to fall back. And I'm thinking to myself, well, that fucking sucks, but I'll do it. You know, whatever. Yeah. So then we discovered that Joe has another fear, and that's the fear of touching my own goddamn eyeballs. Um, I don't care if there's a protective lens between my fingertip and my eyeball. I have an issue touching my fucking eyes. Always have. I don't know if you can relate to that, um, but I can't do it. I mean, I, I'm a I'm a bitch. I don't even like doing Visine in my eyes. I don't like anything in my eyes. I don't like the wind being too windy in my eyes. I don't like the shower water hitting me in the face with my eyes. I don't really like to open my eyes in the ocean because it stings. I don't open my eyes in pools again because it stings. So I, I, I got an issue with my eyes. And the last thing I want to do is fucking stick these, these lenses in. So here I am. I go all the way to the fitting. The lenses are in. You got to go back to the optometrist for the fitting. Make sure you know what you're doing, how to put them in. And I'm literally having a full-blown fucking panic attack on the inside. On the outside, I look cool as a cucumber. But on the inside, I am fucking panic-stricken. And I'm trying to put these things in, and my eyes are bloody red because I'm, like, jabbing myself in the face, and it's not good. So I end up taking, you know, I finally struggle. I get them in. Literally, I get home. I peel them out. I never put them back in again. So... That's been my relationship with my eyes. Now, fast forward 15 years, it's 2020. I've continuously bought bigger and bigger and bigger televisions to compensate for my lack of vision. Now, that's all great and fine when you're in the living room and you're watching TV on a 55, 60-inch screen. It's another thing when you're driving at night and you got to read the fucking street signs that I can't read until I am up on them. I know. It's a sign of getting older. It's just not one that I'm really cool with. So in addition to making my physical appointment and my colonoscopy appointment, I'll be making an appointment with the optometrist who once and for all, and this time I'll bring Kate with me because Kate won't lie to me. You know, if I look like an asshole, Kate will tell me I look like an asshole. Not to mention, if we go out and I get to wear the glasses, she doesn't want a fucking Myron next to her. She wants somebody that looks good. So she's going to pick a pair of frames that fit my personality, that fit my look, that fit my face, and we'll go from there. So that's where I am with eyes. Um, 
it's it's a lo- you know it's a it's a long and sordid story with my eyes. It's just it's something that you know it's a vanity thing more than anything. Your eyes don't fail you till they really just fucking fail you. Um, now, mind you, could I potentially have pressure building up behind my irises creating glaucoma? I'm sure I could, um, but I don't think that's it. I, I you know I, who knows they're going to do that test. I'm sure when I'm there and dilate the shit out of my face, but. I'll go and have that checked. Um, if you have any growths on your body, I don't want to see pictures. Please don't ten, send them to me in DMs on Twitter. Don't email me pictures of any growths that you have. I'm not a medical professional. I cannot diagnose you. I don't know what the fuck you have on you, but I do highly suggest that if you have a growth that you're concerned about, if it's raised, if it's discolored, again, these are things you want to bring up to your PCP, your primary care physician, when you're in front of your doctor. Um Talk to them about these things. Have open conversations. You know, my take on all of this is take care of you because even though you may or may not value your contribution to society or your, your, you know, taking up space in the world of today, it's important to make sure that if there is any underlying issue, that you're taking care of it, that you're identifying it, that you're catching it early or catching it wherever it is, and then working towards a solution to defeat it and, and get yourself on a pathway of better health. Now, one of the things that I can talk to you about um, is physical, overall physical fitness and health. Because one of the things that I do like to do, I mentioned it on a bunch of different podcasts, is I do like to run. I do like to stay physically active. Um, You know, I think far too many people, when they finally get into the workforce, into a full-time thing, start families or start relationships with people, they tend to let their physical fitness go. Specifically, if you've ever noticed somebody saying, oh, look, they must be a happy couple. What they're saying is, oh, look, they're both about 10 to 15 pounds overweight. And, you know, that happens to the best of us. I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't say it didn't happen to me a bunch of times in my life. Um, But staying on that fight, staying, staying focused on trying to create the best version of you is important because it helps with your mental health. It helps with your social um, interaction ability and kind of helps you with your anxiety because if you're going to a gym, you're surrounded by people. Um, the more immersion you have in that type of environment, the better your chances are of, of lessening your anxiety if you have anxiety for that kind of activity. Um, not to mention the cardiovascular improvements you can get, the endurance improvements you can get. I'm the first to tell you the better shape you're in, gentlemen, the better you are later at night when you're laying horizontally. Uh, there is a direct correlation between being obese and being physically fit and your satisfaction intimately. So do yourself a favor and do your partner a favor and take care of yourself. You know, it's not, it's not a lack of machismo. It's not a lack of, of alphaness or, you know, you're not, you're not weak by doing that. You're actually stronger than most because you're taking the leap and taking care of yourself. And ideally that's what you want to do. If you have the ability, if you have the means, if you have the, the insurance, um, do it and do it as quick as possible because who knows what's going to happen um, tomorrow. You can't take tomorrow for granted as being there. And I think we all can probably identify with a situation in our lives one way or another where it was a a loved one, a pet, a family member, a friend um, that you wish you had that one extra moment with where you could have said something else to them, but they they expired and they're gone. Um, don't, Don't be that person that somebody else wishes they had one more moment with. You know, don't take tomorrow for granted. Use today for everything that you can get out of it. Maximize your your overall potential as a human. And, and really, you know, ride this fucking train that is life for all that it's worth. Grind it till there's nothing left. Have fun with it. You know, nothing warms my heart more than, you know, I'm going to date myself horrifically, but on the Today Show, before Al Roker, um, and I can't remember the guy's name, but there was another weatherman, white guy, heavy set, but he used to do these smuckers birthdays, and nothing would warm my heart more than seeing these people that were like 98, 101, 102, 103, 104, and they're still physically active, they're in bowling leagues, they still have friends, they're doing stuff like that. To me, that's kind of like some of the more enjoyable um, stories that you can get. And, you know, those people, you know, they used to tell jokes about how they would just literally, you know, 
walk around and 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 not really have much going on in their lives other than you know taking care of themselves eating right abstaining from alcohol abstaining from tobacco abstaining from you know drugs and shit like that and fuck i mean if you could tell me that at 104 i'm still active I'm still walking, I'm still talking, I'm still enjoying life, then yes, I want to get to 104. If you're telling me at 104 I'm in a chair with loose skin and my balls are dragging behind me as I roll down the car- corridor in my wheelchair, you know, fucking pull the plug. Like, literally, I-, I will pay one of my listeners to come and just hit me with a bat at that point. Because that's, you know, nobody wants that. You know, nobody wants that inevitability. So, while you feel good... See how I'm turning this full circle? While you feel good, go get everything checked. Stay on top of it. Um, you don't need a guy doing a podcast to tell you that. You know that deep down inside. Just take the fucking leap and make sure you take care of yourself. Because ultimately, the people around you, your friends, your family, your loved ones, they want you around. You should be the best version of you that you can be while you're around. Um, so that's that's kind of like my take and my final thought on health and wellness and coming into March, which I'll mention yet again, is colorectal cancer awareness month. So make sure that you're taking care of your butt. At the end of the day, your ass is, is important. So take care of your butt. Um, your eyes are important. Get your eyes checked. Your teeth are important. Don't let them fall out. Don't look all fucking gross. Don't, don't, you know, don't don't get so nasty with your your grill that you got to go get it fixed and spend tens of thousands of dollars to straighten your teeth. Just fucking take care of your shit. Brush your teeth, floss, do all the things you're supposed to do. Be a good person, um, and then go with it. So another thing I wanted to talk about, you know, for segment wise, uh, was I wanted to talk about health, which we did. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about was the death of politeness, the death of manners, the death of, the death of chivalry. Um, and you know, a lot of times when I, when I walk around, I, if I'm going in and out of a business, I always hold the door for the next person, whether it be a man or a woman or a child, it doesn't matter to me. Um, you hold the door for that person, even if they're 10 steps from the door, wait, and then open the door for them. You'll be surprised at how many people say thank you and how many people appreciate it. Don't let the one asshole that doesn't say anything ruin your streak. Stay with it. Stay on top of it. It's more of a a way of, you know, just being a good person. And I do it all the time. I challenge you to do it. It's one of those things where it's a thankless thing. Sometimes you do get thanks. Sometimes you don't. But you just do it. Um, I noticed that in grocery stores, I was in a grocery store today. I had 10 items with me. I'm in the 14 or less aisle. The guy behind me has two items. I let them go in front of me. What what difference does it make? It's like, you know, I never understood that. Or the people like it, um, Southwest, I fly Southwest a lot. And as you know, they do the A, B, and C groupings, one through 60, blah, blah, blah. I'm an A-list, uh, A-lister. So I'm usually one to 30, somewhere one to 30. I hate the people that jostle or cut you in line. Like if, if I have boarding number 15, right? Or 16, 16. That makes me the first person on the plane after a list preferred, which I'm probably like two flights away so far this year from hitting. So it doesn't really matter, but I'm just saying in general, why do people have to cut in front of you? Just let the people go. You're all getting on the same fucking plane. You know what I mean? And if you're one of the first 30 to 60 people on the aircraft, what difference does it make? Honestly, if you're flying another airline, nine out of 10 times, you have an assigned seat. So if you're one of the first 60 or 80 people on an aircraft, what do you fucking care? You're going to have bin space. You're going to get your carry-on up. You're going to get your backpack above, not down by your feet. Just be nice. Be a generally nice person. It's it's something that I think we've all kind of gotten away from. And the larger the metropolitan area, the more I see it. But even in small-town America where I live, you know, I find people to be a little too jaded. And we need to get back to just being more people centric because I think ultimately that's what brings people together. You know, you may disagree on politics. You may disagree on, on world issues, but at the end of the day, you can agree on being a decent fucking human being. I mean, I don't think that that is a party specific thing, 
And speaking of parties, excellent segue, um, today in the news, and I should mention that I am recording this podcast on March 1st, today in the news, unfortunately, uh, former mayor of South Bend, Indiana, Pete Buttigieg, uh, has stepped out of the Democratic primary race uh, to become candidate for president um, ahead of, oddly, ahead of Super Tuesday. Now, I'm sure that Pete and his team and his his overall team have looked at the numbers financially and looked at the polling numbers and believed that there's not a clear path to the presidency. Last night on the 29th, on the 29th of February, we saw Tom Steyer um, after the, the votes were tallied in South Carolina step aside without a clear path to the presidency. Today was Pete Buttigieg. Um, everything's kind of going according to my thought process plan. Now, the question will be, as we progress, is Warren, Gabbert, and um, Klobuchar next to fall? If those three fall and you're left Bernie and Biden as they come down the stretch, if you, because Bloomberg to me doesn't seem to be catching the momentum. And we'll find out after Tuesday whether or not he truly catches a few states and catches some momentum. But if he doesn't, if he continues to poll in the single digits to low double digits, you know, sub 15%, um, while the other two are grabbing, you know, 30 plus percentage points in polls, at some point, Bloomberg being the business person that he is and being the financier that he is with the, the ultimate goal of his $2 billion pledge to defeat Donald Trump, will he in turn back a candidate? Now, no chance in hell he backs Bernie. So he's going to back Biden because he's a moderate and Biden's a moderate and Bernie's a progressive. And let's be honest, folks, Bernie's running as a Democrat, but don't be fooled. He's an independent senator from the state of Vermont and has chastised and vilified the Democratic Party throughout his entire political career. He only utilizes the Democratic Party for relevance when he's running for president, because if he was running as an independent, um, he'd already been out of the race. So as this progresses down, say you get Bloomberg out and now it's just Biden and um, Bernie coming down the stretch and it's somewhat close. Now, unless something changes in the American Democratic voters' palette of taste, um, I'm not sure that Biden is the uniter that this country is looking for in regards to, you know, he's kind of same old, same old, and I'm not sure you get much of a change with Biden in place, not to mention the fact that personal opinion here. I just don't believe he can string five fucking sentences together coherently at this age um, or at this stage in his career. So at what point does my final prediction, which I think I made on September 29th, we're rolling the clock back, or it was the podcast before that, I predicted a brokered convention in which Hillary steps back into the race as the clear-cut favorite to stand the best odds percentage chance of beating Trump in a general election, given the fact that she beat him in the popular vote in 16. Uh, she's stayed relatively quiet for three years with a couple of daggers here and there. She kind of assailed um, Gabbard early on when she saw Gabbard as a threat to the Democratic Party and not necessarily following her ideological thought process. She, she's assailed Bernie because there's bad blood between her and Bernie. But for the most part, she's been kind of quiet and staying to the side and very coy when asked if she's going to run for president. She knows that she's not going to be a vice president tap on anybody's ticket um, because she, her name is too big. She's too big of a draw. So as much as the media is speculating that Bloomberg hangs in long enough for a brokered convention and hopes the delegates, delegates swoon his way, I still wonder whether or not there's relevancy behind Hillary stepping back into the race and, you know, quote unquote, uniting with a semi-progressive agenda, but mostly a moderate Democratic agenda. I think it's enough to pull some of the not so far left Bernie supporters and the disenfranchised moderates who don't seem to have a candidate when you look at now just two moderates left in the race for real that have a... a, a a somewhat decent chance with Bloomberg and Biden, I wonder um, if she steps back in. I think it's time for Warren 
to step out. Warren had a dismal performance in South Carolina. I'll be interested to see how she how she produces through Super Tuesday. But it, when I look at the polling across the state, she's still single digits to possibly 10. I mean, it's it's not enough to, to, to sustain. And I don't think she's wealthy enough or has enough campaign contributions to continue much beyond Super Tuesday. So she's technically, as a progressive candidate, holding support back from Bernie while Steyer dumps and Buttigieg dumps and their constituents will gravitate towards Biden and Bloomberg. I, I wonder why she's staying in this race. I don't think she stands a chance on Bernie's ticket as a vice president. It's just not an option. She she assailed him a little too hard during the debates. There's definitely some friction there. She tried to bring up the sexist comment. And how would that look if the woman, you know, the candidate, not even the woman, but the candidate who came out during a debate on national television and threw shade at you about being a sexist and saying that a woman couldn't win the presidency, how is he now going to turn course and put you on the ticket as the vice? I just don't see that as an opportunity. So I think Warren's all but washed up. Klobuchar, I think, was a good candidate. Um, However, as we've seen while watching this political landscape um, develop over the course of the past six months or so, you have to be a media darling. You have to have appeal to the media because ultimately your biggest, um, your biggest advertising, your biggest um, introduction to the American voting public, as much as you'd like to think it's through these debates and as much as you'd like to think it's through these paid ads, it's really through media coverage. And you need to look no further than to look at the Democratic candidate, Tulsi Gabbard, um, who's still in the race for reasons I can't even understand. She's polling, you know, when I say single digits, I'm talking in the one to three percent rating. Um, By far, when you look at experience, when you look at record, when you look at political stance and ideology, by far the most electable candidate on the left Yet, Queen Hillary spoke and said she was a Russian operative. The media jumped on it. It became a firestorm. Gabbert basically was sunk well before Iowa, well before New Hampshire and Nevada. Um, So my question, I guess moving forward, is uh, Klobuchar just doesn't have that that media darling um, love affair that the other candidates seem to have been able to cultivate over the course, whether it's through their story, whether it's through their platform, whether it's through their look. Um, different candidates have spent different times as the front runner. I mean, we all remember when the original field was announced, Biden was by far the the front runner, and then it was Buttigieg and Bernie and. You know, it's really been those three, let's be honest. I mean, everybody else, they've had their moment in the sun. I mean, I think Liz Warren, July, August, was kind of trending upwards, um, doing some crazy shit at at the county fair in Minnesota. Um, but ultimately, it, it, it's it's really coming down to Biden and, and Bernie. And it'll be interesting to see how this plays out going into July. I try not to, I'm educated, don't get me wrong. I'm extremely educated on the candidates, where they stand. I'm also a trend watcher. Um, I love to look at numbers. So statistically, I could I could spill for, Jesus, another 20 minutes on who I think statistically has the best chance to win. Um, and then you look at the other side of the fence, and basically Trump's running unopposed. I mean, Bill Weld, I believe, is still in the race, but that's about it. Um I don't see him faltering. I don't see high, although we see moderate Republican turnout during the primaries, I mean, it's a single fucking candidate. I I didn't vote in New Hampshire for that simple reason. Um, There's no reason to, you know, (laughs) Bill Weld wasn't a threat. Uh, Even though he's a former governor of Massachusetts, he's not a threat in New Hampshire. Uh, He's not a threat in any state, to be honest with you. So Trump's going to go forward to his... um, his committee meeting, his convention, he's going to get the nod and he's going to pull forward to the general election and nothing's going to change from his his campaign per- perception. He's, he's going to be a hard charger. He's going to be what he claims is a straight shooter, 
which I claim is a carny barker. Um, but everybody's got their own style. You know, it, it Trump's style resonates with certain people. His results resonate with other people. And I'm not sure there's a single fucking person on the planet that, that thinks that he tweets relevantly and that he tweets effectively. Um, I've long said that in looking at what he's promised and what he said that he would do versus what has been accomplished, he has been extremely successful, uh, specifically with a, you know, the last, I don't know, year and a half of a Democratic-led house. He still accomplished a lot of the goals that he said he was going to do. There are some that still need work. Um, I do believe that he's done a great job with the economy. I don't think that's disputable. Even though the Dow lost 3,700 points this past week um, in fears of supply chain disruption from the coronavirus and the fallout, therefore, after, um, I still believe that the economy is chugging along at a decent pace. When you look at unemployment rates, that's not bullshit, people. Those unemployment rates, when you look at minority unemployment for African-American men, African-American women, Asian men, Asian women, Latino men, Latino women, um, unemployment rates are at historic lows across the country. This is not industry specific. This is not state or regionally specific. This is national. He's done a good job. I mean, I don't like the individual. I really don't. I find his, I, I follow his Twitter handle, but I follow every Democratic candidate's Twitter handle as well. Um, they flood my timelines. I look at them. I, I shake my head more often than not. I understand the draw of being able to speak directly to the American people. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a very powerful tool that the president has exploited, not utilized, exploited. Um, But I also think that it comes with drawbacks. If you can remember back to 2008 when Barack was uh, originally elected president of the United States, there was a story about him needing to have his iPhone and his BlackBerry taken away from him because he was messaging too much. Now fast forward to 2016 through now, and we have a president of the United States who literally can't go nine hours without tweeting. And some of it's nonsense, some of it's bravado, more often than not, it's propaganda. Um, But then there are some nuggets of of actual tangible information that comes out that way. And it is a nice feeling that you have a direct connect uh, in regards to getting the words directly from the president of the United States versus through a press secretary or through media outlets. I understand that. But the continuing bully pulpit belittling of newspapers, media outlets. You know, it it at one point it was refreshing for calling a you know, a spade a spade. However, at the end of the day, 4 years into it or 3 years into it with the possibility of another 3 and a half plus years to go, um there is there is a part of me that is tired of it. There's a part of me that tunes it out. And I don't think that's a good thing because I think that when you do need, it's like the boy who cries wolf. Eventually you're going and going and going and going and going, and then nobody's listening anymore. And you're just talking to a wall. And I fear that at least with the Trump campaign, they're, they're running dangerously close to that point in which the only people listening or paying attention are your detractors and your ardent supporters. But the people you need to win your election, the people that are determined or bound to to decide the outcome of the election are no longer listening. They're no longer getting your message. They're no longer paying attention. Or worse, they're no longer believing you. So I think that there's a lot of work to do on the Republican side. Um, also, I'd like to see a little more backbone from the de- from the Republican Party as a whole. Uh, it's nice to support the president. I get it. Um, but there's also, when you're talking about each one of these individuals have at some point in the next two to four years have re-election campaigns that they need to put together, they need to garner support for, and they need to, to press forward. I think there's a balance, an imbalance at play here where you can be considered a lemming or a sheep to the shepherd versus being an individual thinker who can support certain 
initiatives, but not necessarily be in lockstep. And I don't think that that makes you a traitor to your party or a traitor to your leader for having independent thought. I think, unfortunately, what we've come across in, in today's society is we've we've gotten to a point in which people are so ardent on one side or the other that they can't hear the other side. They can't have an intelligent conversation about it. And I can. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, Joe, you're just full of shit. I mean, how do you know that you can have that kind of, you know, back and forth and, and have a civil conversation with people of different political views? And I say, well, why don't you come to my fucking dinner table? Um, I have a 16-year-old son who is a Bernie bro. He is 100% behind Bernie Sanders. I'm fine with that. In fact, today, this morning, we were going to drive to Boston so that he could do canvassing for Bernie. And Bernie's not my candidate. You know, he's not. I, I don't I don't agree with democratic socialism. I don't agree with the, the core ideological beliefs of Bernie Sanders. I never have. I'm not going to start now. And if he's the democratic nomination, he doesn't have my, my vote. So you'd think, why the hell would you support your kid doing it? Well, I'd support my kid doing it because he actually believes in something. And it it makes me kind of, and you know, when you become a parent, if you're not a parent yet, there will be times in, in your child's development where you look back and you think to yourself, how does this emulate from when I was, a, when I was this person's age? Now, I have to go back to when I was 18. It was the first presidential election that I was able to, to vote in, and it was 1996. And I thought to myself, I take that back wind that clock back four more years. It was 1992. Um, in 1992, I was 18 years old, and I had the opportunity to um, to vote for the first time. I was about to join the United States Air Force. I'm all gung-ho, and here's this guy who was struggling coming into Super Tuesday and just started mowing people down. You know him best as Bill Clinton. And at the time, in 1992, we needed a different voice. We had George Bush Sr. For, for one term, and it was okay, but here we were, engaged in the war in Iraq, uh, looking at regime change, which was the Republican playbook all along, and I, I wasn't feeling that. I was looking more towards a candidate that was looking towards the future and building the economic strength of the United States, and he was speaking to the youth of the country, and he really caught fire. And he was charming, he was well-spoken, he was passionate, he believed, you know, he, he made you believe his position. And I admit it, I was, you know, I come from a very staunch Republican family, um, and there I was supporting a Democratic candidate, and I thought he was great. Uh, you know, I just did. And, you know, truth be told, I voted for him twice, <laughs> you know, <laughs> voted for him again in 96. Um, even after he canceled out a job code that I had in the Air Force, I, I still believed because the economy was doing well. I still believed that he was he was setting us up. He was doing it right. Um, so long story short, um, when I look back at it, I remember how I didn't have the support of my parents when I was I didn't campaign for, for Bill Clinton, but I did support him. He did earn my vote. I did vote for him in both the, at the time, the Massachusetts primary as well as the general election. And I remember the, the, my only, you know, cohorts, cohorts in that were my classmates, you know, that were also on the same page as me in that regard of, you know, hey, this young tech-friendly uh, economy-focused Democrat is going, you know, let's, let's get on board. Um so we did. And so now fast forward, here we are. And my son's, you know, enamored by this, this candidate who has very progressive views on the U.S. economy, very progressive views on health care for all, very progressive views on uh, secondary education after high school and the costs associated with it and how he's going to change the, the fundamental structure of our government and of our economy at a time in which our economy is, you know, last week notwithstanding, humming. So every fiber of my body is anti-Bernie Sanders, but my son is pro. So we have long involved conversations regarding politics, and I'm using it as both an, an opportunity to listen to the other side while also offering fact-based opinions 
from my side, and as well as from a parental perspective, offering an additional view um, to my son in regards to having a social discussion in which, you know, I may say things you don't agree with and you don't, you don't support. And, you know, you're going to say things that I don't agree with and I don't support. The key is to be respectful of the other person's views, because ultimately, if I leave it up to chance and I don't have that conversation with my son and I don't, you know, try to inject that parental lesson of everybody has an opinion and it's worth being heard, whether you agree with it or not, it doesn't negate the the validity of the point that you're trying to make. Then what we're doing is we're just progressing and forwarding the agenda and the the discord that we see currently through our current president and candidates for president where no one's listening to anybody else even if you look at congressional leadership regardless of the side whether it's Pelosi or McConnell it doesn't matter they don't listen to each other they don't work together the system is broken in that regard i would love i think a winning strategy for a candidate is to come out and really really Find a way to convince the average American voter that he or she is committed, is is focused on getting these two parties back to an semblance of working together. Bipartisan support, not just the lip service, but the actual involvement of Democrats and Republicans working on bipartisan legislation that forwards the United States as a whole. Because then your elected officials, regardless of the letter after their name, are doing what the fuck you put them in Washington to do for you, the voter. And unfortunately, until we as vote as the voting public of America speak up and get that word out that we're done with the backbiting. We're done with the single party initiative where America is second and the individual party is first. When we can get back to America first, and again, non-party specific, America first, that, that is when you can start accomplishing some of these things that you want to accomplish. The problem is, Every bill in Congress, whether it starts in the House or the Senate, every single bill in Congress starts out with a beautiful intention. And by the time it gets through the ringer, it's had more shit added to it that has absolutely nothing to do with the initial fucking intent of the bill. And it gets crushed because somebody puts something in there for funds being appropriated to a different, you know, whether it be a social program, whether it be defense spending, it doesn't matter. If you want to write a bill about limiting the sale of assault rifles, assault rifles, not hunting rifles, not handguns, not extending background checks or any of that bullshit, just on the weapon itself. Because I think whether you're a Democrat, whether you're a Republican, whether you're a constitutionalist, a federalist, a Tea Party person, a progressive, or a socialist, I think we can all agree that you do not need assault rifles for general sale in the United States of America in a non-military setup. You can have long guns, you can have shotguns, you can have pistols, you can have handguns. I don't think assault rifles are the way to go. Now, for those gun enthusiasts that want to have an assault rifle, I think you should be able to, provided it has lead poured down the barrel and it's an unfireable weapon. If you want to collect it as a collector's piece, an operational or a decommissioned AK-47 or decommissioned M-16 or M-4, you can have that with lead poured down the barrel and the entire mechanism seized. That way you get the gun you want, you get the weapon that you want to say that you have it as a collector, but it's a non-fireable weapon. You want to fire an M16? You want to fire an M4? Volunteer. Join the Army. Join the, join the Marines. They'll let you fire them. Join the Air Force. I shot an M16 in the fucking Air Force. It was part of my training. You do that. I, I, I didn't get out of the Air Force and go, I, I got I to gotta buy a fucking assault rifle. I never really, you know, I, 
the the guns that we the weapons that we were given when I was in the United States military were under the expressed intent that they were for for battle. And I was in the Air Force. I'm never going to fucking go to battle. So there was no like I didn't fall in love with guns. You know, I, I appreciate them. I know that we need them. I believe that every American has the right to bear arms and that every American has the right to protect themselves. I agree with that. What I don't agree with are assault rifles. If somebody could write a, a bill that was nothing more than banning the sale, manufacture, and distribution of assault rifles to include AK-47, M16, or any military militia-style assault rifle, whether it be semi-automatic, single-shot, or fully automatic, in the United States of America, I would be behind that. I'm not sure that there would be a vast majority against it. The problem is, that's how a bill starts. We're going to ban assault rifles. Then it goes to scopes. Then it goes to certain types of ammunition. Then it goes to um, longer wait times and deeper background checks. Listen, people, there's a five-day waiting period nationally on purchases of handguns legally. There's always going to be illegal handgun purchases. But legal gun purchases for legal, eligible citizens of the United States to purchase guns there is a waiting period, a grace period, a cooling off period. This is to assist in not buying one out of anger and then going and utilizing it. I'm okay with that. Most gun owners are okay with that. We're not looking for the the nine millimeter today. You know, if I have six hundred, if I have seven hundred and eighty bucks and I want to buy a P two thirty five Sig handgun, I don't mind if I can't get it this Friday. I can get it next Friday. It's not a big deal. You know, if you're in that big of a hurry, you're probably not going to pass the fucking background check to begin with. I don't believe that convicted felons should be allowed to purchase handguns legally. And I believe that every handgun should be stamped and serialed inside the gun so, so that the serial cannot be filed off. Those are just my thoughts. That's my final thought for today. It's been a fun episode. We talked about healthcare. We talked about the the presidents, uh, the candidates, the tweeting, and everything else in between. Um, I enjoyed doing it. I could I could do a political discussion. I could talk about the Second Amendment until I'm blue in the face because I'm a card carrying member of the belief structure that you should be able to bear arms. However, I do believe that there should be a restriction on the weapons that are made available to the general public. And if our lawmakers could get their shit together and sit in a fucking room and write one goddamn bill that just outlawed the style of gun, period, end of report. And if you don't want to do the style of gun, which I think you absolutely should, then just stop making the fucking ammunition and stop importing the ammunition. If there are no bullets to fire out of the AK-47, it doesn't fucking fire. If there's no bullets to fire out of the M16, it doesn't fucking fire. We've got to be smarter about this, people. As a public, we have to be smarter. We have to stop thinking about our our overall, you know, how tight or how stringent or how popular can we make a... Just fucking ban assault rifles. And then let it go. Handguns are never going away. Hunting rifles, shotguns, they're never going away. Does the general public need to own a fucking sniper rifle? No, they do not. Do they need to own an assault rifle? No, they do not. I don't I want to meet the gun enthusiast that tells me that they need the sniper rifle for home protection, and I'm gonna ask him how fucking big is his piece of property that he has to be able to shoot a mile away. You don't. It's not needed. We need some more common sense politicians to jump into these races, to get the general public behind them, to move the needle forward. Those are my final thoughts. Thank you so much for listening to the Brain Droppings podcast. As I have now rejuvenated myself, got a new microphone, and started doing these a little bit more frequently, I'll look forward to your feedback. Remember, subscribe to this podcast wherever you digest podcasts, and you can find us on iTunes, Google Music, Radio.com, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, Pandora. Find me where you find podcasts. Look for Brain Droppings Podcasts. I'm your host, Joe Show. Thanks so much for tuning in.
It's been a fun one to do. I hope we get a chance to do another one here real soon. Take care, folks. Yeah, here we go for the hundred time. Hand grenade pins in every line. Throw them up and let something shine. Going out of my fucking mind. Filthy mouth, no excuse. Find a new place to hang this noose. String me up from atop these roofs. Not a tight so I won't get loose. Truth is, you can stop and stare. Run myself out and no one cares. Dug the trench out, lay down there with a shovel up out of reach somewhere. Yeah, someone pour it in. Make it a dirt dance floor again. Say your prayers and stop it out when they bring that car. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.